Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Today on the Blue Crew, we are very happy to welcome on a new friend of mine. He's been doing the NHL Stanley Cup Central with me every night. We've had a ton of fun, but he is also the legendary NHL analyst, has done everything in the game of hockey. Welcome to the show, Pierre McGuire. Pierre, what's going on? Johnny, really nice to visit with you. Cody, nice to meet you. I'm really excited to be with you guys. Likewise. We're going to dive deep into some Rangers talk today, but before we do any of that, let's just talk about your career in general You've coached, you've managed, you've played, you've done everything. Can you talk about right now, I guess, just the situation the New York Rangers are in? Can you take us through the process of finding the right fit or just finding the way that this team can win? Because obviously there was a lot of talent on the roster this year and things didn't go as planned. So if you're Chris Drury right now, where are you bringing this thing? Which direction? Um, I think you have to look at what the Rangers have done over the last five coaches. You know, if you go back to Tom Rennie, Nice guy, players, coach, everybody liked him. Just wasn't able to push him to the next level. Then you go to a little bit of a different one um, in John Tortorella. And John was extremely tough, really hard driving, squeezed a lot out of those teams. They ran into a one year, they ran into a very good New Jersey Devil team led by Marty Berder. Then you go to Alain Vigno. And, and Alain was a little bit of a players coach, a little bit of a tough guy, and that kind of didn't work either. David Quinn, I think it's not fair to him. He was in a total rebuild situation. I've known David a long time, and uh, I'm a big fan of him as a person and also as a coach. Uh, but unfortunately, he was in the rebuild. Now you go to Gerard Gallant, try to be nice early, then try to be hard. I think they need to get somebody to make the players internally better, make the players accountable without alienating the players and without alienating the staff. So it's kind of like a real good people person that knows how to communicate in a firm but fair way. I think if you can find that in a coach, you're probably going to get a good coach for the Rangers. Yeah, absolutely. And and just to add, you know, a little bit onto that, I mean, who would you personally say do you think are maybe the three best candidates for this Rangers coaching vacancy? Oh. I know there's a lot of options right now. And, and funny enough, I feel like the last few times the Rangers hired a coach, it was kind of always the one or two guys that they were honing in on that seemed like the right fit. But it seems like this time, you know, they can go in any direction, whether they want to go back to college, go to an assistant coach, go to a, you know, current coach, former coach. So, so what are your thoughts? Well, I've read all the different names in the newspaper. I'm not always sure the newspaper accounts, Cody, are accurate. Um, so I'm going to stay away from that list. If I were making the choice, uh, and I know there's other issues involved, uh, I would be going after Joel Quenville. That's mm -hmm. just my own personal opinion. Um, I've known Joel a long time. We worked together in the Hartford Whalers organization. We actually went to training camp together as players in New Jersey. Way oh, no kidding. In the early 80s. Um, I'm a big fan of him as a person. I'm a huge fan of him as a coach. Uh, I thought he did a fantastic job with Chicago when they were going through almost what the Rangers are going through right now. Um, teaching young stars how to be accountable. Jonathan Taves, Patrick Kane, Brent Seabrook, Duncan Keith. Um, uh, Corey, uh, Corey Crawford. I mean, I can go down the line. So he did a really good job. I was with those Chicago teams all the way from the start to the finish of the playoffs. And I thought Joel was phenomenal. He won uh, a Stanley Cup as an assistant coach. People forget that in Colorado with Mark Crawford. Um, he's been part of a lot of winning. 
I like guys that are part of winning programs, and I think Joel would be a really good selection. That's just my own personal opinion. Well, to that point, I want to piggyback off of that for a second because I know you're very close with Scotty Bowman. And Scotty, I, I read actually a stat recently. He's the only head coach to win cups with multiple teams. Is that true? Uh, I have to think about that over time. Yeah. But I would say um, it's probably true. You'd have to look at what happened with the late Dick Irvin Sr. Mm-hmm. and whether he wanted in different places. But um, it sounds to me like that might be right. Which is crazy to oh, think, yeah. right? It is crazy to think about. See, Pat Pat Burns was really close. Pat was close in Montreal. He was close in Toronto, but he did win in New Jersey and mm-hmm. never won in Boston. Mm-hmm. You know, you think about Mike Keenan. Mike was really close in Chicago, lost to the 92 Penguins, and then he won with the 94 Rangers. But there's probably some merit to that stat if I went over it over time. Yeah, and, yeah. and I think about that stat a little bit too because we talk about all these coaches that have just trade places and then there's been somewhat of a carousel as people like to refer to it. And the fact that only one guy, if if the stat is correct, I didn't do you know a deep dive into the fact, but um, it's crazy to think that only one person has been able to do it with two different teams. And do you think that somewhat creeps into the head of a general manager? Where hey, if you know the guys available right now, like Laviolette, Sutter, um, you know Quinville, guys who have done it before, but it hasn't been done by anyone else besides Bowman, should we maybe lean in a direction of you know a name that I've been tuning into a little bit more and more as we go on here is Jay Pandolfo, who played on a line with Chris Drury at BU, coached BU for one year, was an assistant in Boston for five years. You know, I think he's a name that not many people are talking about, but it's starting to rise to the surface now. Well, I've known Jay a real long time, and I'm a big fan of him as a person and also as a coach. Um, A lot of those Bruins teams, when he was the assistant coach, uh, I was around and really marveled at the way they killed penalties in particular in Boston, the way he was able to get their attention. Um, I communicated with him a lot in my last job with the Ottawa Senators because they owned, and he was the assistant coach at the time, um, they owned one of our players, Tyler Boucher. So I had a chance to really spend some time with him, and then Tyler left and and went to the Ottawa 67s in major junior hockey. But, uh, no, Jay's a tremendous coach. The fact that he played with Chris I think is fantastic. Uh, But the truth is, this is New York. It's not a hinterland kind of a team. And the expectation is to win. And I think if you're Chris, if whomever you're bringing in, if you don't win, then I think Chris probably is going to have to be looking over his shoulder. And that's not a very comfortable way to manage a team. Yeah. And, and the last thing I want to add to the, you know, to the whole coaching thing for the Rangers is to me, I kind of lean a little bit more towards, uh, you know, I look at a coach who's incredible right now, who's, just as of last night, taking his team to the, you know, the conference finals in Rod Brindamore. And to me, he's one of the best coaches in the league, no doubt. And, you know, he was obviously a former player. And I, I kind of look at a couple assistant coaches who were former players who are having some strong success in, you know, obviously Brunette on the Devils and then uh, Jay Leach as well on the Kraken. And those are two guys who I know their names have been floating around a lot in, in you know, putting their hat in the ring. So... <laughs> <clears throat> I, I think to your point, especially for New York, winning is very important. I think Coach Q would would be a great choice. Um, but I also look at some guys like that who I think could potentially have what it takes to, you know, take this team where they need to go. And and I'm just trying to think of it from the scope of like the past couple coaches, the Rangers have always went in a certain direction where they 
look at like the best bunch of, you know, whatever coach is available. And to me, that looks like Laviolette, right? He's, he's, he's the name that's been kind of floating around a little bit. Um, But yeah, I I just think it's like time to kind of go in a new direction. You have this core here and uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's really all I'll say about that. It wasn't much of a question, but (laughs) yeah, where's the question there? (laughs) No, but I kind of like the the direction that you're going, Cody. I think the one thing that's really important though is for people to understand one thing that has to happen with every NHL team, it doesn't matter if it's the New York Rangers, the New Jersey Devils, the Boston Bruins, the Ottawa Senators, it doesn't matter. The biggest thing now today is development of players at the NHL level. A lot of times kids were allowed to go down in the American Hockey League and train and get prepared. And I call it overripe rather than underdeveloped. The truth of the matter is though, because of the salary cap, a lot of young players are getting rushed along. And so when they get rushed along, sometimes they get lost, um, you know, in the whole thing of running a team. If you're not developing players at the NHL level now, your staff's not very good. And I think guys on the Rangers this year took steps back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's really important that whomever you hire is somebody that has a little bit of an understanding of development. It's really important. Yeah. Yeah. There especially, actually, especially oh, for the kids. No, well, yeah, I was just going to say, especially for the kids. Yeah. I was going to say to that as well, you know, Pierre, it's a good point too, because there was a time this year where a lot of Ranger fans specifically wanted Alexi Lafreniere to be, to go down to Hartford and to just find his confidence because there was a time where he didn't, you know, have a ton of confidence in his game. And and that kind of, you know, lingered into the playoffs a little bit. It seems he had zero points in seven games. Everyone wants to talk about that, but um, you know, I think to that point too, like players confidence obviously is huge, right? Like if you know, you're struggling getting sent down to the minors, it could be great to feel the puck and get first line minutes and play first line power play. But when you get back up to the NHL, like those same problems are probably going to happen. Right. So it's, it's such a difficult thing to figure out. Like, uh, you know, we've talked about it a lot on the NHL shows, just a, a mental psyche of being a player now in today's game, because, you know, you, you read things and you see things and you hear things now it's talked about 24 seven. So um, what would you say to like the Lafreniere, Kako, Heedle, you know, the guys who haven't necessarily gotten that opportunity that a typical number one, number two overall pick would get. And how do you overcome that adversity? Great question. So number one, Johnny, um, always use tape. Tape was really important. So you ask the player, um, Alexis Lafreniere, let's use him as an example. Who's the player you think you're the most like? And let's just say, he says, Jerome McGinley. Let's just say I'd go and make about a two and a half to three minute tape of what Jerome McGinley does well. What did Jerome do well? He was a great four checker. He could score off the rush. He could score off the power play on a one timer. He was unbelievable getting to the front of the net. He was a great, great four checker. So I'd make a tape of all those things and say, here's what you need to do. This is what you're, and then I'd show them what you're not doing. Mm-hmm. And so the education part of tape watching is huge. And the best teams have really good video coordinators and they build those packages with the help of obviously the assistant coach and they go that way. The other thing is, um, and I'm not trying to drop names now, when I was coaching, I had the privilege of working with some pretty special players, Yarmir Yager, Joey mm-hmm. Mullen, Larry Murphy, Paul Coffey, I can go down the line, Mark Recchi. Kevin Stevens, like some really mm-hmm. special players. Mario. Pronger. I mean, I can call him Mario, but he didn't come out for the extra work. He didn't need it. <laughs> he didn't need it. But it's interesting. Joey Mullen had this big thing. His thing was scoring, and he knew it. So every day, 30 to 40 minutes before practice, I would pass him hundreds of pucks, hundreds. I'm not kidding you. And he would just shoot from different areas, spinning, protecting, shooting. Larry Murphy loved keeping the puck in. And you could argue over the course of his Hall of Fame career, Brian Leach, uh, Raymond Bork, 
and Larry Murphy were probably three best defensemen in the league at keeping the puck in the offensive zone. We used to practice that before or after practice. So all these guys, you got to do that. Even though these guys were not rookies, your assistant coaches are so critical when it comes to skill development. Now it's really, mm-hmm. really important. It really is. Yeah. So, so let me ask you something. I, I think it seems like we all know what the Rangers kind of need from a coaching perspective. Uh, um, you know, and, and some of their young guys, we can definitely use the development what do you think they need either internally, whether it is just that development or external pieces in order to finally, you know, get back to the cup and and have a chance at recapturing it and, you know, build on what they did this year and, and last year? I'd like to see them add a real stalwart shutdown defenseman, not just Jacob Truba, but one more player that could really insulate Jacob. Um, it's, it's a heavy lift if you got to do it by yourself. So that's number one. And number two, I'd love to see them add more robust dynamic top six forward. Let's put it that way. Something that could really, and I think Lafreniere could eventually be that guy. I really mm-hmm. do. Uh, but he's not there yet. And mm-hmm. they need him to be, you know, Capo Caco is the same. His second overall pick. They need him to be better than what he's done, more consistent. And maybe I'll, I'll take you guys back. When I was a little boy, I used to deliver the Montreal star. It was the afternoon paper in Montreal. And I remember delivering it, and one time there was a column. This was after Guy Lafleur was the first overall pick as a 20-year-old. And after his first season in Montreal, the whole paper, I remember delivering it going, oh, my gosh, they want this guy traded out of town. He was 21 <laughs> years old. Um, it's a good thing they didn't trade him either. But anyways, they, they didn't trade him. But they were demanding in Montreal that he be traded because they didn't think he was good enough for being a first overall pick. Eventually, he became that good. But you got to remember, that was a 20-year-old draft. All these guys are getting drafted at 18 now, so it makes a big difference. So there's still some more development time that can go into all these young players, but especially Kako and Lafreniere. They both need to be better next year. Yeah, it's a great point, and we kind of hang our hat on the whole – Tage Thompson effect, right? Tage came into the league and didn't have much of an impact at an early age. And now he's 25 years old, became an NHL superstar this year. But, you know, it's kind of a funny thing, right? Like every team that has, you know, a number, uh, an early draft pick that hasn't panned out just yet, we're all saying, well, Tage Thompson did it, you know? So I think uh, it's kind of a funny trend around the league. And, you know, it looks like you have a point. Yeah. What do you want to say? Yeah, no, that's such a good point. I'm glad you brought it up, Johnny, because last year, two years ago, I, I was scouting Tage Thompson. And I was going, this kid's got a chance to be good. The one thing he did that was electrifying for a big man, his release point on his shot. He doesn't mm-hmm. need a lot of time to crank it up. And when it gets to the net, it gets there in a hurry. The guys that deserve a lot of credit on Tage Thompson are the guys in Buffalo that are no longer there. Kevin Adams, a general manager in Toronto, uh, Buffalo, didn't make that trade. That was Jason Bottrell and Randy Sexton. It was a totally different coaching staff that worked with him to prepare him when he came over from St. Louis, but you're spot on. That's a great example. That's an awesome example. Well, he's just like, you know, he's the one guy that people really kind of just didn't think about. And then two, you know, two years ago he explodes and he was actually the same way when we were kids. So Tage uh, skated on Long Island in the summers. Cause his dad, Brent uh, was a Islanders coach. And uh, there was one summer where Tage came back. He grew like six inches and he was just tearing up our summer skate. And this is with guys like Charlie McAvoy, you know, Adam Fox was out there like a good Long Island skate. And we were like, where'd Tage come from? Like, He's sick now. Like it just came out of nowhere. And his younger brother Tice was actually really good too. He was out there with us also, and he was like four or five years younger. Yeah, played a Providence drafted by New Jersey. Absolutely, yeah. But uh, you know, we talk about coaching styles. You mentioned coaching the Penguins to the '92 Stanley Cup. What was your coaching style back then? Because everyone's different now, and the way you coach players has changed a lot over time. Because let's face it, these younger kids now. You know, I've been around a lot of them. There's somewhat of a sense of entitlement uh, with the younger guys in the league. So I think. 
you know, managing egos is probably different than it was back in the day, right? Oh, yeah, because back in the day, you didn't need waivers to send guys to the American Hockey League. And back in the day, guys had two-way contracts, uh, even star players. So it was, you know, maybe guys were making three or $400,000, but if they got sent to the American League, they were making one hundred twenty-five. Um, my coaching style, I learned a lot. Uh, Bob Johnson was the first person that I worked for in the NHL in Pittsburgh. Uh, we won the 91 Cup together. Then I worked with Scotty Bowman, and that was completely different. Uh, but I learned so much from both of them, especially Scotty, because we were roommates. We lived mm -hmm. together in the same apartment. Um, so I would say firm but fair it was probably my style. But when I was the assistant coach, um, it was more like being very fair and nowhere near as being as firm. Um, it's really important to communicate with your players, help them develop, make them feel comfortable if they have problems to come to you and share them with you. Uh, so as an assistant, I was one way and as a head, I kind of delegated to my assistants the way it was delegated to me when I was an assistant. You know, Artemi Panarin made comments on breakup day that, you know, come playoff time, he feels a little bit pressure no matter what he tries to do. He can't succeed. I don't know what the exact quote was. I don't have it in front of me. But what would you tell a guy like that who, you know, obviously is making $11.5 million. You know, he's got a lot of pressure on him in New York. Hasn't really, you know, he, he had a good playoff last year, 16 points, 20 games, 11. whatever you want to call 6. it. Um, sorry, 11.6. Uh, you know, how do you, I, I guess, try to push the right buttons with a player like that? Because he obviously doesn't respond to to the, for lack of a better term, I guess, hardo coaching style. Um, yeah, he doesn't respond to the whip. I know exactly what mm -hmm. you're talking Every player is different. That's the key to motivating your players. And this is the one thing any young coach, anybody that's young that wants to coach in the NHL, the most important thing you can do is be an expert on every single player in your organization. Know if they're married, if they're not married. Know if they have a significant other or they don't have a significant other. Know who they live with or they don't live with. Know who they travel to. You have to know everything about your team. You need to be an expert. Some guys like to get yelled at, believe it or not. They just won't admit it. Some guys like to have the velvet glove just rubbed on their back all the time. Mm -hmm. That's some how I was. <laughs> yeah, some, some guys need to get kicked in the derriere. Some guys don't. So it's really – if you're not an expert on your own team, then you're not going to be very good. And that's a big reason why I can tell you this right now. I learned a long time ago. Never let your coaches make trades because the problem is they become jaded. They could be mad at a guy and want to trade him the next day. And then I say, oh, man, I really didn't hate him that much. Or they could <laughs> fall in love with a guy. And then all of a sudden, oh, he's really not the guy I thought he was. So your coaches get emotionally involved with these guys. That's why managers have to be divorced from the, from the players. I had the best line ever said to me by Scotty Bowman. He goes, don't fall in love with your players. They're like racehorses and ex-wives. All they'll do is cost you money. <laughs> That's a, that's a, good a point. great comparison. Yeah. So I, I just, uh, yeah, that that's awesome. Um, I just wanted to touch a little bit on, on your time with Pittsburgh. I mean, you, you know, you obviously won a cup, uh, and you got to see some, you got to coach some really good players. Uh, did you ever have any, you know, any personal favorites or do you ever, do you have a great story out of, uh, maybe that one year you guys won the cup in Pittsburgh? Well, I was fortunate to be with both cup winning teams, 91 and 92. Um, Probably, well, one of the best cup stories is after we won in 91, <laughs> the players lost the cup in Tommy Barrasso's backyard. After we <laughs> they, it took a while to find it, too. I wonder why, but anyways, they ended up finding it. But this is one that's kind of involved the coaching stuff that Johnny was talking about, Cody. Um, in game four, we swept Chicago. By the way, you can look it up. In 92, the Pittsburgh Penguins are the only team to win 11 straight games to win the Stanley Cup. 
Wow. Um, it's in the, uh, against the Rangers in the second round, we won the last three. Against Boston, we won four straight. And against Chicago, we won four straight. So they're yeah, the only dominant. team that's ever won 11 straight games to win the Cup. So we're playing Chicago in old Chicago Stadium, 1992, game four. And a guy that I really respect and it helped bring to Pittsburgh, Gordy Roberts, who was playing for St. Louis's farm team at the time uh, when we got him in Pittsburgh, wasn't playing particularly well in game four. <laughs> and I was running the defense. So I went to Scotty and said, I'm sitting Gordo down. He says, I, don't bug me. Just you coach. Don't bug me. I said, okay, okay. Because I really think the world, man, I didn't want to take it personal. So then you got to focus in on coaching the other guys. At the end of the game, after we won, the first guy to come up to me and hug me was Gordy Roberts. And he said, I want to apologize to you. You were right, and I was wrong, and I was way out of line. I said, you don't have to apologize, man. I love you. <laughs> but that just shows you what an old pro is like. You didn't yeah. take it personally. You sat there and you said, you know what? He's probably saving myself, me for myself. He was, he was great. He, so that's just one of those emotional stories you get as a coach, dealing with players all the time. But that's that's a huge part of the, uh you know I guess just everything in life if you want to win is controlling your emotions and I think you know that's something that the Rangers maybe have not done particularly well in the last couple of years because let's face it New Yorkers the emotions are very high here when when things are good we love you when things are bad we let you know um, and that's obviously a blessing and a curse of being an athlete in this city um, I don't know if you can touch on maybe just the pressures of, of different cities and different fan bases because I think you know this is something that I talked about uh, last week but. For me, it kind of drives me nuts. I, like I'm more of the optimistic uh, fan, and you know when players aren't doing well, like you you want to boost them, you want to build them. They're your guys. Like whatever whatever happened to like ride or die, right? Like I think that's kind of gone out the window in today's sports fan. It's like you know when like you said when a coach is uh, emotional about a player, they want to trade them. Like that's how fans are too. Like if we want to you know see a player go, all of a sudden they're tearing it up, which former Rangers apparently do all the time. Sammy Blay had no goals, got traded all of a sudden, you know, put up like five in St. Louis. Um, and that was something like Ranger fans uh, had a good kick at, kick at, but I, I lost myself in this question. But um, you know what I'm trying to say is the emotions of being a fan. I, I guess, how do you not let that get the best of you when things aren't going great? Because we've seen, a lot of teams take time to get over the hump, like the Colorado Avalanche, you know, example. That's a, that's a great example, actually. Colorado, Washington Capitals for years. San Jose still yeah. hasn't gotten over the hump. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're yeah. looking at seven to ten years of agony. In yeah. And it's a lot of it's salary caps, self-induced, created by previous management team, but still created by their own people internally. Um, it's so important, I find, in this, especially the 24-hour news cycle that we live in and with Twitter and Facebook and all the social media and the 24-hour sports talk shows and everything else, so important that upper management insulate the coaches, insulate the players, manage expectation with the media. Don't overhype your acquisitions. Don't overhype your players internally. If you do that, I'm talking about overhype them. The expectation yeah. level is way too high. And the league, I can tell you guys, 34 years around this league, a long time, I've never seen the league harder to play in. Never. Like, this league is crazy hard to play in. Mm-hmm. We've never had better players in this league. Never. Think about how good Connor McDavid is. Think how good Nathan McKinnon is. Look at how good Austin Matthews is. Look at Sebastian Aho. Nobody even talks about Sebastian Aho. Anse Kopitar was drafted in the 05 draft. He was 18 years old in 2005. Sidney Crosby, 18 years old in 2005. I can go down the line. Look at how good the players are in the yeah. league. It's crazy. So um, I'm a huge fan of the NHL. I love it. Um, I study it and watch it every single day, even in the summer, because you have to keep current. 
But I would tell you guys this. It really is important for upper management to insulate the coaches and the players and manage expectation. And if they don't, then you get into trouble. Mm -hmm. I have one more. Cody, you got any final ones to wrap up? Yeah, I, I guess my last question, and you know, this is getting a little bit out of the NHL, but into you know your life, how, how did you fall in love with the game of hockey to begin with? <laughs> it happened in New York. You won't believe this. My uh, my grandfather was in the trucking business, and uh, we came down from Montreal um, in I'm going to say '66, and I saw the Montreal Canadiens play the New York Rangers at Old Madison Square Garden, not the new one, the old one. And uh, I would have been five years old, and I was walking into the building, and it was kind of dark, and people were smoking cigarettes. You could smell the nicotine, <laughs> the popcorn was popping. You could smell the stale beer. Um, you could smell the hot dogs. It was it was amazing. My sensory overload was. <laughs> and then I'm sitting there with my grandfather um, and watching the Canadians and the Rangers play back then. Original six. There wasn't even. The original 12 we had no expansion there it was original yeah. six. that's really started it for me and then being a kid growing up in montreal it's hard not to be proud of a winning team and you know every summer or every spring they were winning cups you know everybody knew where the parade was in montreal because it happened every other year or every year um so that's when i kind of fell in love and probably the number one thing though cody i can tell you i'll never forget the 71 cup Montreal was down in game seven in the final in Chicago Stadium, uh, 2 nothing, And Jacques Lemaire scored on center ice against Tony Esposito. Tony had been drafted by the Canadians out of Michigan Tech and eventually got traded to Chicago. And uh, it was amazing. He scored from center ice, and then Henri Richard scored twice for the Canadians, and eventually the Canadians win. But I was sitting on my uncle's couch watching that game seven, <laughs> and little did I know, almost 20 years later, I'd be coaching in that building to win the Stanley Cup with the Pittsburgh Penguins. I was 10 years old watching yeah, that's that awesome. game. It's pretty amazing. Full circle. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And I guess, you know, just to, to wrap it up here, you know, a lot of people listening obviously know you as Pierre inside the glass. That's, you know, uh, our generation of Pierre growing up watching you. Uh, do you have a favorite story that you like to tell from that time, just being in between the glass? Oh, I loved every minute of it. Um, I was so grateful to NBC and Sam Flood for creating that position. Um, you know, now it's kind of changed how sports broadcasting is actually done, Johnny. So it meant a lot to me. Um, I have so many. Doing the Olympics from down low, um, people don't realize the International Olympic Committee never allowed people next to the field to play until the 2006 Olympics. And that was NBC that petitioned them. And so I did the games with John Davidson upstairs, a Ranger tie-in, yep. and Mike Gamrick and myself. And we did them all. And I was between the benches there. It was the first time they ever had inside the glass um, at an Olympic Games. And after that, it carried forward. It still is in use today. Uh, one of the scary moments I'll never forget was Sochi. Uh, the Jonathan, uh, Jonathan Quick in goal for Team USA um, and, and just the shootout, TJ Oshie was... against the Russians. But what's scary is sitting right behind me was Vladimir Putin. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You should have seen how he, he was angry. <laughs> I, I, that's one of those you never forget. The, the rink was full, and it went from being really rambunctious and loud to no noise. Mm -hmm. Everybody was kind of waiting to see what uh, Mr. Putin would do. <laughs> And thank goodness I wasn't looking at him. I was looking right at the ice. <laughs> that would have been a fun interview. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That would have been yeah. TJ Oshie was great after that game, by the way. What an interview. If you remember that, it was an iconic picture. 
Yep. Right after he scores, he doesn't skate to the guys. He skates to Jonathan Quick. Mm-hmm. And he had like his arm in the sky, right? Like pointing or whatever. Yeah. And uh, What was it? I'm not the real heroes. The heroes are the ones wearing the yeah. camouflage. That was awesome. We got it. That was a great quote. But uh, Pierre, we want to thank you so much. And um, Yeah, this was awesome. Thanks so much. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I love being on with you guys. It's great. I love people that are passionate about hockey. It's so good. It's great. Yeah, I got the uh, the whole collection right behind me. Yeah, but yeah, uh, yeah. I'll the be talking thing, to Listen, no mid-Fairfield up there. I was never mid Fairfield. I was a Long Island goal, Royal. I was everywhere on Long Island, but never. Know, uh, I'm just busting your chops trying to Pierre, I'm a, for mid Fairfield. So yeah. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a fellow uh, Jersey guy. Like you yeah, went to Bergen well, Catholic, right? Yeah, I went to Bergen. Yeah, I, I have I have a lot of good buddies who uh, played for BC. Uh, I uh, I probably the two best years I ever had playing sports was at Bar- uh, Bergen Catholic. I loved every part of it. All my best friends are football players from there. It's I love, love it. it. Yeah, great. people don't know that about you. You were a two-sport athlete. Um, in college, I played three. Played baseball, three? football, and hockey in college. Oh, I'm a baseball guy. All right. Um, but I, uh, in high school, I only played two. Football, Bruton Catholic was pretty big time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was really good. I loved it. Um, I played for a gentleman there, Tony Karsich. Helped change my life. I'm really grateful to Coach Karsich. Really helped change my life. Were those the glory days? Are you talking about your high school football days? No. <laughs> Oh, no, I don't think so. Oh, we had really good teams. We lost mm-hmm. back-to-back years in the state final. Um, but the coach was – he really taught me what it was to be, how to be a competitive athlete, which really made a big difference in my life. I want to see some tape. I think Pierre Maguire football highlights would do really well on Twitter. Yeah, there might be some good ones, actually. <laughs> we, beat a, we beat a pretty good Monsignor Farrell team, who I think was number two in the country at the time. They had just lost to Monsignor or, uh, to Cincinnati Moeller. Uh, who was number one? And they came to Burn Catholic under the light, sold out game, and we beat them. I think I had a pretty good game that game. That's I'm awesome. Sure, I did. <laughs> <laughs> well, Pierre, we want right. to thank you again, and I'll be talking right. to you the next couple weeks on the uh, NHL Central. I can't wait, Johnny. Great to meet you, Cody. Awesome visiting with you. I love your passion for the game, you guys. Thank you. Means thank you. Thank you. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.